Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHerCon is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Be realistic in what you are going to need. What's that final number and what's that final amount of cash flow that you think you're going to need? Be realistic. Don't overshoot it because guess what? If you leave your job, there's always ways to make money. Before we get into it, I want to introduce you to Groundbreaker, today's sponsor and partner. They are an all-in-one suite of tools for small to medium-sized real estate syndicators. They've got a special focus on real estate syndicators with 1 million to 100 million assets under management. They help you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Groundbreaker will help you scale your business without the need to scale your overhead. So they're gonna help reduce your costs because of the admin team that won't need to be as large. And they're gonna help you reduce your risk of data breach because of the security systems that they have in place. They'll help you increase your revenue by growing your assets under management because you're gonna be allowed to focus on the things that are most important like business growth and operations not those administrative logistics. And ultimately, they're going to help you elevate your company's brand and professionalism and investor experience because your investors are going to enjoy having this platform with all their information versus however you're currently doing it. Three things specifically about Groundbreaker I personally like. One, super easy to use from an investor standpoint and from a general partner standpoint. Two, it allows investors and general partners to fund electronically, meaning that a limited partner can complete their entire subscription and funding cycle without leaving the platform. And on the general partnership side, for distributions, you can set it up so that you can trigger bulk ACH payments within the platform. And then last thing I really like about Groundbreaker is it's, well, it's cost effective. It's healthy to the bottom line. Their basic plan allows sponsors to sign up for as little as $100 per month with no limits on deals or investors. And you can read all about the pricing on their website. Speaking of their website, it is groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe, J-O-E. And when you go there, groundbreaker.co forward slash J-O-E, you're going to get access to a pitch deck that the Groundbreaker team created so that you have a template should you want to use that and customize it for your own deal. So go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. 
For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff with us today. Eric Shaman. How you doing, Eric? I'm great. Thanks. Well, I'm glad to hear that. And a little bit about Eric. He's a part-time real estate investor. He began investing in single-family home rentals in 2012 when he was living overseas working for Shell. And since then has bought 12 homes, sold three, also has multiple limited partner ownerships in deals and in total owns 1.7 million in his real estate portfolio, which is a combination of his limited partnership stakes as well as the single family homes that he owns based in Orm, Utah. So with that being said, Eric, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your current focus? Yeah, thanks. It's great to be on your show, Joe, and I appreciate being able to talk to your best ever listeners. So as you mentioned, I started investing in 2012. I was living overseas and living overseas, I was working for Shell. So we had some income available to invest and we started investing in single family homes through a turnkey provider and we invested in one and then another and then another and it just kind of snowballed until we got to five or six, and then we sold two and we bought four. So there was some nice equity gains. Those original houses were in Phoenix and Phoenix in 2012 was the low point. And as it came back up, so we were able to sell two and buy four. And I've listened to your podcast for a long time and you have so many professional investors that are started companies. I'm kind of the small fish in a big pond. I'm just a part-time investor. But those investments, the home investments, gave us a passive income such that the company I worked for, I left Shell at the end of 2017, and we were able to travel. So we traveled full-time as a family. We literally went around the world. And then when we were done traveling after 18 months, I came back, and now I'm just working in a small business helping my mom literally with her business. Mm-hmm. And I haven't needed to go back to work back for an oil company because we're essentially living off of the passive income that our real estate investments provide. So we've been successful in that regard to give us the income we need to leave the rat race and leave the nine to five and come back and do something that's helping other people in a way that I wasn't able to do before. One tricky part with human nature is that when we achieve a goal, then we want to have another goal that we achieve. Therefore, we're constantly reaching for something bigger. And the downside to that is when someone has a W-2 job and they're looking to exit out and they have a number in mind and then they hit that number, they might think, oh, well, I don't know if that's actually going to do what I want it to do for my life. So I'm going to wait, still have this job and make that number larger. How did you think about that process prior to leaving your W-2 job to be like, okay, you know what? I'm good. Our family's good. We're going to just do this thing. It's a great question because we really did go through that type of thought process. I was working for Shell. I was overseas. I was making great money and it was pretty easy money, honestly, because it was nine to five and it's a big company. And I did what I did. I did it well, but they paid me really well to do it. And we got to the point where I literally said to myself, when is enough enough? When is my 401k large enough? 
is my real estate portfolio large enough? I can always build more, but when is enough enough? And for us, it was a timing issue because we were at a point where we loved to travel and my son had graduated from high school and he had taken a gap year. So he was still at home with us. And my daughter was in college, but she was in a position where she could take a gap semester. And we kind of hit it right at the point where we could all travel as a family together again. And we took the leap. We did some financial planning. We said, this is what our cash flow will be over time. And we decided that we're doing it. And I left Shell. I was lucky to leave at a right time. The other thing that plays into the situation for me was I left Shell at a time when I was offered a nice severance package. So okay. it would have been financially better to stay with Shell and keep working, of course. But at the time I was able to leave, I was able to leave with a nice severance package. So there was kind of a severance to walk away. Our investments had come to the point where we were comfortable and timing wise, we have six kids and timing wise, we were able to all continue traveling as a family with my daughter back with us. And it was the last time that would be able to happen. So a number of things kind of came together to make it such that we were comfortable taking the leap. You have a portfolio of homes and you also invest in apartment syndications. Why not focus on one versus the other? All of my homes have been with investment money that was not retirement dollars. And when I left Shell, I took not just the severance, which was after tax money, but there was some retirement money I had as well. So I decided to take that retirement money and I realized I could have put it into some homes, but I decided to just kind of take another route and diversify a little bit. So that's when I found these limited partner, these syndication deals. It's with Ashcroft, actually. I know Ashcroft. Oh yeah, you're familiar. Yeah. <laughs> so I decided it was just that chunk of retirement money that I decided to put into these other syndications. But the Phoenix home, the home or homes that you sold, they did well. They got a chunk of cash and you were familiar with homes and you had the teams, I imagine, already in place. So why not just continue to do that? A couple of reasons. Number one, the houses did do really well, but from a cash flow perspective, they haven't panned out quite as well as I hoped. And I guess when I say it, they haven't done as well as the paper said they were going to do, right? You get the pro forma from the turnkey and they give you a number and they say, yeah, cash on cash, you're going to probably do seven or 8%. And I just never found that to be true. So I was looking for something different. And that's not to say I won't buy more single family homes because I probably will, but I just wanted to try something different. Any deals you lost money on? I haven't actually lost money, but the worst deal I did was when I decided, you know what? These turnkey guys, they're great, but I think I can do a little better. <laughs> so I went to Indianapolis and I answered an ad. I don't know if you're familiar with the Indianapolis market. Not very. Okay. Well, there was a guy, Burt Wayland and Ocean Point, which was a bit of a fiasco. And I turned out much better than many investors. I got some class C properties from him. And I used to dealing with class A and class B with the turnkey, but the numbers on a class C look much better. You're buying for 40,000 and you're renting for 650, 700 a month. And I got the properties, but after a while, it's kind of when Ocean Point went south and they stopped communicating. 
and I just got nothing. So I had to change property managers and that was major headache. And when I finally got the new property manager on, comes to find out the renter that's in my property is a criminal. He was wearing an ankle bracelet when they rented to him. We finally got him evicted, but he had done $17,000 in damage to the house. He had run it as a drug house. So I had to do all these renovations. And the changes and the rehab that had been communicated to me just wasn't quite accurate. So I had to spend additional money to rehab it, to put it into a place of actually being able to be rented. So that took some time to make that back. Those properties are now rented and they're cash flowing pretty well now, but all that cost that I had to put into it and the major headache was not a fun thing. How has your thought process evolved when looking at new opportunities from when you first started investing? Definitely, you need to look at other people who are investing with the person you're thinking of going with. So I did do some due diligence. I didn't go to Indianapolis, but I sent my mom, actually. I sent her to Indianapolis to meet these guys when when I bought the homes. And they put on a pretty good show, but I never really talked to anyone else who was their customer. I didn't ask for any references. I didn't do that backside due diligence. And that's something I would definitely do again. I have done in other deals that I've tried to do is get some customers who are already working with them and find out what their opinion is. And then also, I don't think I'll go into the class C market again. (laughs) The numbers do look really nice, but you are dealing with renters in a much different situation and it can be difficult. For a high income earner having a W-2 job and wants to put together a plan to exit out travel with his or her family, just like you, your wife, and your kiddos did together. What are some suggestions you would have to him or her as they're putting together their plan? So a suggestion would be time travels a lot quicker than you might think. So when you're starting out, it's easy to think that you want to get to the place faster than it really takes. But actually, once you finally get to that place, you look back and you think, oh, wow, that seemed faster than it was. So when we started investing in 2012, we knew it wasn't going to be immediate that we'd have a portfolio of nine homes. But little by little, you buy one house and then you buy another and then you buy two homes a year and then you buy three homes a year. And if you have a five-year plan or if you have a 10-year plan and 10 years just feels like it's going to take forever to get there, When you start out, it does feel like forever, but by the time you actually reach it, you just turn around and say, I can't believe how fast that passed. So be realistic about how long it's going to take you, but don't get discouraged if it seems a little longer than you want in that moment, because it's always going to be a little bit farther away than you think when you're starting, Mm. but also recognize, guess what? Time flies and it's eventually going to come. So it's just don't get discouraged. And the other thing is, like we said, again, be realistic in what you are going to need. What's that final number? And what's that final amount of cash flow that you think you're going to need? Be realistic. Don't overshoot it because guess what? If you leave your job, there's always ways to make money. You may not make as much as you are going to, but you don't necessarily have to be a hundred percent passive cash flow able to do everything you want to do when you leave because there's going to be opportunities along the way to make some more money and to supplement what you're doing. That's a great point. I certainly was guilty of that whenever I had my W-2 job and I was wanting to transition out. I did not think, oh, well, 
I was making, I think, 150000 base salary at the time. I'm just not going from 150 to zero and then zero in perpetuity until I create a business. I didn't think at the time I could make money doing certain things that related to what my W-2 job was just wouldn't be as much. So it, you don't have to go from 100% to 0%. You could go 100% to 25% and then go from there. When we were looking at when is enough enough, when I was working for Shell, we were saving towards our kids' college. Mm-hmm. We were saving towards our own retirement. We were trying to be really frugal in what we did, and we were saving a whole lot of money. And when you leave, you stop saving all that money, but that means you don't have to earn that money to save it either, right? (laughs) So let's say you're saving 20, 30% of your salary. When you stop saving 30% of your salary, that income is not necessary anymore. (laughs) Yep. So it sure would be nice to keep putting money in our 401k, but that's the reason we left is that I wouldn't have to work to earn that money to put in the 401k. I'm letting the 401k work by itself. And we're living with less, but our time is what I have instead of money. And I talk to Daryl all the time. And when we talk about traveling now, we think about, well, what do we have more of, time or money? When you have more money than time, you buy the expensive direct flight. But when you have more time than money, you can buy a cheaper flight that takes longer to get there. Any other suggestions for people who are looking to do something similar or observations about your experience that would be helpful to share? Yeah. When we started full-time traveling as a family, there's so many people who are doing it. And there's so many blogs out there that can give you advice and can give you some inspiration. It's really nice to meet other people who are doing the same thing as you. And it seems like a very exotic thing to do. I don't deny that it is, but there's just a, a community of people who are there to give you support and to help you out. So while we are traveling, some of our best experiences were just the people we met down in Guatemala and down in Santiago, Chile. And when we were out in Bali and in Spain, all these people that we get to keep in contact with, there's just some real joy that comes from that. So that's one thing to think about. And then another thing to think about is if you choose to leave your W-2 nine to five, you just have a lot of time. There's a lot of time to do other things And you may think about, well, I just want to sit on the beach with a drink in my hand and the waves at my feet. And that's fantastic. For half a day. For as long (laughs) as you're at the beach. But then you come home and you've chose to make our home temporarily in Orem. But then we've put our kids back in school. So I just have time again to think, okay, now you continually need to reinvent yourself. I've kind of spent a year doing something and now I'm going to need to reinvent myself to do something else, which is an exciting challenge, but it's also something that you need to think about. It's not just once you leave work and travel on passive income, that's not going to be the rest of your life. There's other things that you're going to need to think about. How do you make sure that you remain sharp from a personal development standpoint? Well, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I try to educate myself that way. I have taken on something. When I came back and started to work my mom's company, That kept me sharp in terms of learning new things. I never worked for a small business. So I had to learn all of these tricks and tips about working in a small business and advertising and all the things that we do for sales. So I think it's just making sure that I'm doing things that keep me learning and keep me educating myself. So I'm always doing something new. Based on your experience as a real estate investor, what is your best real estate investing advice ever? My best real estate investing advice ever would be If you want to invest in SFRs through a turnkey provider, just 
find one that you trust. Find one that is going to do what they say they're going to do. Actually, I'm working with Done For You Real Estate in Utah. They over-communicated. They showed me all the books. They showed me exactly what they were making. And it was just something that you could latch onto and say, okay, yeah, these guys are going to do right by me, which is not what I got from the bad deals I did. So I didn't learn at the time, but I've learned since. Find someone that you really feel like you can trust. We're going to do a lightning round. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Yeah, let's go. All right, let's do it. First, quick word from our best ever partners. Groundbreaker helps you increase productivity and investor satisfaction by automating fundraising, reporting, and investor relations through elegant and powerful workflows built by syndicators for syndicators. Go to groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe. That's groundbreaker.co forward slash Joe to get a free deal pitch deck template. The Corporate Investor Podcast is geared towards successful corporate employees with high-income jobs looking to create a second stream of income. You'll hear from successful real estate investors on the show as they describe how they got started investing while working their full-time corporate job. Listen and subscribe at thecorporateinvestor.com. That's thecorporateinvestor.com. All right, best ever book you've recently read? The book that has changed my behavior the most was The 5 a.m. Revolution by Dan Luca. I really enjoyed what he had to say, and I started waking up at 5 a.m. Okay. That'd be a huge game changer. How long ago did you read it? Uh, I read about a year and a half ago, maybe a little more, maybe two years ago. Yeah, there's just a lot to get done in the morning that I've really enjoyed the time in the morning. On average, how many days a week do you wake up by 5 a.m. And I know your wife is sitting in on this interview so she can fact check it. <laughs> Definitely Monday through Friday, I wake up at 5 a.m. every morning. And then Saturdays and Sundays, I give myself to sleep in. And what's sleeping in? 7.30 or 8. What time do you go to bed during the week? I try to get to bed by 10, but 10.30 stretches it. What deal have you made the most amount of money on? Probably the Phoenix deals, right? Yeah. So the first home I bought in Phoenix in 2012, I paid 95 for it in 2012. I'm putting it on the market next month for 240. So that's been a fantastic house. What's a mistake you've made on a transaction that we haven't talked about already? A mistake on a transaction has been not following up well enough with the property manager to just really understand what's being done. Often they have a clause in there that says, if it's more than 500 bucks, we're just going to do it right away. And sometimes you can have a hand in that and say, wait a minute. So just kind of letting them do too much without checking has been a problem in the past. Best ever way you like to give back to the community? I love being near my alma mater, BYU. I like to go back and do presentations for the students, telling them about my career I work with a church youth group here, so I love to work with the young men. And then while we were traveling, especially in Guatemala, we did some work with some nonprofits and built some houses and did some gardening projects and, and really liked working with the locals down in Guatemala. And how can the best ever listeners learn more about what you're doing? Best way is to email me. I'm at ETS Enterprises LLC, all one word, at yahoo.com. And if anyone's interested in a travel blog for a family, um, our travel blog was the numeral eight, eight suitcases.com. Eight suitcases.com. Type the number eight in. Don't spell it out, right? That's correct. Eric, thank you so much for being on the show talking about 
your and your family's journey, how you all have gotten to this point, some investments that did not go well, what you learned, some investments that have gone well, what you've learned, and the variables that were in place in order to stop having that W-2 job and moving forward into travel and spending time with your family, how you want to spend it and having more of that. Because it's pretty much the main question that most people have is how can I spend the time how I want to spend it? That's ultimately what we want to do, whether we verbalize that or not. That's basically what it boils down to. So really glad we had this conversation. Hope you have the best ever day and we'll talk to you again soon.